Gentlemen, all offseason, we dream about weeks like week four, where as far as the eye can see, you've got conference-defining, playoff-defining, legacy-creating matchups from the 11 a.m. window until you lay your head on the pillow at night. And we can't wait to break it down right here on The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome one, welcome all to, I mean, the first of many Christmases during this season. Listen, if you're a college football fan, every every Thursday through Saturday is kind of like Christmas, but week four especially, um, I don't know if this is the Christmas that comes along on, on a Monday so that you kind of get that whole week off uh, of, of work the next week uh, on top of a long weekend. It's going to be enjoyable. That's all I know. And fellas, this week, it was tough to whittle down our run sheet. So I believe we have 15 games that we're focusing on, plus a bottom ticker to keep your eye on. But hours worth of prep went into studying, analyzing, trying to figure out how on earth are we going to cram all this action in to one podcast. And, and guys, Saturday is just going to be glorious. I mean, clear the slate. Clear the slate. Find a recliner and download YouTube TV. Not a sponsor could be, but it's going to be a glorious game day. Yes, get that quad box going. Some niche reference here, so I hope I don't lose our whole audience. But I feel like those aliens that wanted Rick and Morty to come up with a new song, right? It's show us what you got Saturday. It is show us what you got Saturday. We have a lot of teams that have been, you know, (laughs) middling a little bit to be quite honest and i've already lost my co-host but hopefully i didn't lose my audience we got a lot of teams that have been middling it is time for them to show us what you got the cupcakes are over the appetizers are over for those teams it is going to be a big time showdown all across the country and i'm excited for it mitch you said it best cancel your plans find your favorite spot on the couch get your favorite snack get uber eats to deliver your food so you don't even have to go out and get it do not miss a second of this saturday there's no doubt that uh, the Rick and Morty reference, I think, will land with some of our audience. I don't know about all, but uh, well, well. Shout placed. out Ben Becker. Shout out. Uh, gosh, um, what a what a pull to start off this show, Garrett. I mean, goodness. Um, I mean, we're we're starting off with the big three, and I think there will be probably a lot of consensus around that big three. But uh, there's there's no doubt you. You don't have to just look at our favorite three games on on the weekend to see a chance to set yourself up with with a leg up over your conference race or keep your playoff hopes alive. Make an early statement. Um, I I think our fingers might be on fire switching around the channels. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I'm glad I bought an extra TV a couple weeks ago for this. It'll be 
it'll be a lot of bandwidth going out on the uh, on the downloads for making sure that we can get enough screens and enough games actually going here. It, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Really, there's like a big six. You know, there's there's really like six games that I think you could say this is a massive game that'll have season long implications. And, you know, massive storylines and just kind of depending on what part of the country you're in, what conference you follow the most, you're going to maybe disagree what our biggest game of the week could be or what the top three could be. But we're, we're going to watch it all. Um, I'm excited to just sit on the couch and, and, and watch stuff all Saturday after what's been a couple of crazy weeks in a row, just finally getting a chance to sit down and, and watch games. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I We may be about to give you 10 million reasons why uh, we're leading off with a certain game. We'll get there in a minute, of course. Have to let you know this podcast, all of our podcasts, brought to you by our friends over at the Transfer Portal CFB, tremendous partner in the college football space. They have the research, the uh, previews, the recaps. We help write their recaps, headlines, and review every single either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning over on the Transfer Portal CFB website. Their Twitter account is on fire all game day long. You're looking for someone to give you the most relevant clips, takes. Uh, Transfer Portal CFB is, uh, has got those in addition to, uh, obviously, what we're doing at 3 Technique. Of course, got to shout out our friends also at homefieldapparel.com. Their game day collection uh, continues to just roll right along. Uh, guys, they have a couple of brilliant matchups this week. I honed in on the Penn State-Iowa matchup that they had. Uh, my girlfriend is uh, from Des Moines. Her family is big Hawkeye fans. We we bought matching, or not matching, but we bought Iowa shirts to celebrate the start of the college football season. Uh, I put out the question on Twitter, who are you buying home field for? Uh, maybe there's a, I don't know, if it's a loved one, a friend, a, a rival that you want to you wanna roll up to the tailgate with, you can do so. Homefieldapparel.com. Use our code 3TECHPOD for 15% off your first purchase if it's not your first purchase, that's okay. We got you covered there too. Head on over to our Twitter account. There's a link that you can purchase directly there through. Garrett, uh, you've retrofitted your closet. If you're watching over on YouTube, Garrett has, I mean, a king's ransom of home field in the background. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm pumped about it. I put a bunch of bunch of money into you know kind of throwing up our, our sponsor behind me. So, you know, I'll be kind of cycling through a couple, kind of rearranging some stuff. I got a bunch of home field in the closet right now, currently wearing the good bull shirt from their uh, Texas A&M collection. Got my Georgia Tech hoodie. I got Michigan, Maryland, the Utah Rose Bowl shirt over here in that all black. I'm going to be excited to wear that one out. SMU ponies got the that nice powder blue as well. So very pumped to be wearing all these very soon and to keep these rotating in the background. That's right. That's right. Uh, homefieldapparel.com. Once again, 3TechPod, the code to use there. Gentlemen, let's get into it. 3Tech Big 3 to launch this episode. And we settled on three games that we not only feel like have uh, obviously conference implications, but are affecting national favorites to go to the college football playoff. Uh, we'll get to ESPN's darling, Alabama, in just a moment. We'll talk about, Garrett, your darling in Utah as well. But we have to start with number six, Ohio State, traveling to South Bend, Indiana, to take on number nine, Notre Dame. This is an NBC game, 6.30 p.m. if you're in the central time zone. And, uh, guys, from an X's and O's standpoint, to me, this is the best single game on the weekend. You've got top 25 defenses 
and top five, or I'm sorry, top 25 offenses, top five defenses. So truly both ways, you've got unstoppable forces against immovable objects. And I think that is going to create incredible theater. We're hearing now that Ryan Day might have gotten an extension and a raise on his salary, which would make him one of, if not the highest paid coach in all of college football. That's just an added bonus. But then we also get to watch Sam Hartman go to work. And and Hartman obviously is going to be captaining this uh, Notre Dame offense that has really proven itself to be quite handy these first couple weeks of the season. Ohio State's offense finally woke up a week ago, crushed our hearts as Western Kentucky backers. But Trey, let's start with you. What stands out to you about a top 10 matchup where both teams, I think as the season is going along, certainly have their eyes on a national championship as the ultimate goal? There's a couple things. And, you know, when we were previewing this matchup last year when it was in Columbus, there was a lot of unknowns for Notre Dame and Ohio State was kind of the known commodity. I feel like that's almost flipped in 2023. I feel like I know what we're going to get with Notre Dame. And I'm still waiting to see what we're going to get with Ohio State. I know the, the ceiling is extremely high for the Buckeyes, as it always is with all the talent that they have on the field. But I'm still just waiting for it to all to click. And we almost saw that last week, I think. We saw the potential of the defense. We've seen the potential of the defense all year, quite frankly. And I think that's been the most pleasant surprise for the Buckeyes this year. They have a physical, fast, attacking defense in the second year under Jim Knowles. That was something that I was kind of highlighting in the preseason, right? It's a very complicated scheme to learn. They looked out of position at times last year, especially down the stretch and against teams like Michigan. But now that they have a year under the belt under Jim Knowles, it finally seems like they know what they're doing. And those fast, athletic uh, players that they have all over the field are just in the right spot at the right time making plays. And I know they haven't played the most down, uh, you know, difficult schedule so far. Notre Dame has certainly been more battle-tested so far. But Ohio State's really impressed me with what they've done on the defensive side of the ball. And it finally seems like they're clicking on the offensive side of the ball. Now, Kyle McCord, he might end up being a better college quarterback long-term than Sam Hartman, but Sam Hartman is certainly the more proven commodity at the quarterback position. And Notre Dame has just as good, if not a slightly better defense than Ohio State does. So it's going to be really interesting to see these matchups play out. The one thing I'm concerned about with Notre Dame, I've been one of Sam Hartman's staunchest defenders on this show. I'm going to pat myself on the back for being in on him a little bit before, but we just feel like for me, I feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop with Sam Hartman. He's been dang near perfect so far. And I know that he got, uh, you know, the NC state boogeyman off of his back. He's looked really, really good against the cream puffs on their schedule. But what if Sam Hartman has one of those games where he just throws two or three interceptions? Can Notre Dame overcome that? Can this version of Notre Dame overcome that? This is going to be his biggest test so far. Ohio State, they've been hearing all week the people saying that Notre Dame is going to get this win at home. I don't know. I'm still a game time decision on this pick. I'm leaning towards the Buckeyes on the road, getting this done somehow, some way, leaning towards, you know, the more long-term known commodity. But it's been a season of the known commodities getting toppled early on. So that leads you to Notre Dame as well. Garrett, I'm, I I know you've backed Michigan at many times during this season. And 
to Trey's point, Ohio State is certainly the more battle-tested team at the highest level over the last couple of years. Now, not this individual team, but just them as a program. There are all these expectations that, you know, they should have beaten Georgia last year. They could have waltzed their way to a national championship by throwing for 800 yards against TCU, but they didn't. And the narrative around Ryan Day seems to be that he can get his team up to win, to play in all of these normal games. But as of late, when the spotlight is brightest, when the pressure is the most intense, his teams crack. Do you see that happening here in week four against Notre Dame? I don't think that they'll crack. I think that this will be a really good, really competitive game. Um, just looking at some of the things that we were highlighting in this graphic, they, I think as all of us expected, clearly, we were going to say Notre Dame has the better offense and Ohio State slightly edges them out on defense, right? That's what all of us thought going into this game, right? We all expected this. Um, but no, kind of surprising starts to the season for both teams. You know, we highlighted a couple of the matchups, looking at Sam Hartman versus the Ohio State secondary. Are they, you know, is he going to be able to have some success? Like Trey was talking about, what if he throws a couple picks? I don't see that happening. I think so far he's been surgical. He's just been, I mean, the money. He's been exactly what you want from a veteran quarterback, and he's let his playmakers do their thing, right? We're seeing, you know, Jen Greyhouse explode in front of our eyes, and Tyree has, you know, been kind of a revelation at wide receiver for them as well. So we're, we're, kind of seeing their playmakers start to rise up, something Notre Dame's been missing for a little while. Um, but then, you know, you kind of flip the script and you say, well, look at the other side of the football. Because Ohio State's offense is a thing that we've been expecting to be amazing, you know, just for years and years now, right? We go into the season, we say, well, Ohio State's going to score points, but what are they going to do? And we don't even consider what they're going to be able to, to accomplish on the football field. And, and that highlight that we have right there, Travion Henderson versus those Notre Dame linebackers, I think is where this game is made. I think you're going to have mixed success passing the football if you're Ohio State. Not that they're not going to be good, but that Notre Dame has an elite secondary. They're very good on the back end. Not as strong on the line of scrimmage, but those linebackers are really, really talented. So if those linebackers can fit their gaps and, and stop the run game for Ohio State, then I think this is a long night for the Buckeyes. Uh, but if Ohio State can do enough in the run game, not you know rush for 200 yards, not, you know, score multiple rushing touchdowns and, and, you know, multiple like long breaking runs. But if they can just do enough to take the pressure off of McCord, give him the ability to throw the ball, air it out a little bit, get the safeties back, right? You know, you know make the safeties have to collapse a little bit so that they're, they're running with guys and get a little bit more man coverage on the outside. That's where I think Ohio State is able to succeed. Are they going to be able to do it? As of right now, I don't think so. Um, I'm leaning Notre Dame to win this one. I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win this one outright. Um, I, I do think they're the better team. I did pick them to go to the playoff, and I don't think that that happens if they lose to Ohio State here. So I'm going to pick them to beat the Buckeyes in this situation and, and I think you know, kind of make a statement because they have to have this. Right? This is something I've mentioned multiple times in Notre Dame. They have to pass the eye test. If they don't, they're not going to make the playoff. And so they have to pass the eye test. They're going to have to do it on the biggest stage. And I think that they will against Ohio State this time. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think that when I step back, when I look at, okay, what are both teams putting on the field? Honestly, I think the weakness for both teams seems to be in the trenches a little bit. And for Notre Dame, that's not necessarily 
uh, saying a whole lot because that offensive line is has the potential to be one of the best in the country, right? Joe Alt is is maybe the best left yeah. tackle in all of college football. I think the interior needs to step up and play a little bit better. But Audric Estime has done a great job running the football for them. Sam Hartman, Trey, as you mentioned, has been nearly perfect. Do I expect them to continue that level of unencumbered excellence on offense? No, I don't. And so that's why I do think this is a low-scoring game. I think there's a good chance that this game is you know, tied or within a field goal until the very last waning seconds. But ultimately, when I sit back and think, who do I trust more in this matchup? It's Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame at home. I'm going to roll with the Fighting Irish plus the three and a half as well. And I'm so curious to see how this game turns out because as, as I alluded, there's a rumor that Ryan Day is either near to getting an extension and a raise or that he's already received that. I think either way, come Saturday night on our live show, we're going to be talking about the legacy of Ryan Day either as, okay, someone that can potentially lead this Ohio State team to a national championship and just got a massive monkey off his back or as the guy that's maybe going down with the ship in a program that is too big, too successful to fail, they're going to have to scapegoat somebody. I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion either way this game turns out. Uh, Last thing before we get out of here on this one, just very quickly, Trey, is is there any way that this game turns into a blowout? And if so, which team is doing the blowing out? If it's a blowout, it's going to be Notre Dame in my mind. I, I don't I don't see with the defense that Notre Dame is putting on the field and Sam Hartman's big playability, short of him just, you know, having one of his AO games and turning the ball over four or five times, I don't think that Ohio State necessarily blows Notre Dame out. I think if it's a blowout, it's Notre Dame unleashing an offense that we have not seen before in the Fighting Irish before this year. So to me, the more likely team to blow the other out is Notre Dame at home. Um, and I also think that Notre Dame has more ways to win this game. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I feel like Notre Dame could win a shootout or a defensive struggle, and I don't necessarily feel that way about Ohio State. If you look at their history, especially under Ryan Day, they don't do well when things aren't going extremely well on the offensive side of the ball, with the exception of last year's Notre Dame, Notre Dame game, ironically enough. So, um yeah, Notre Dame has more ways to win this game, and they also, I think, have more likelihood of being a blowout. I was going to go kind of the other way on this one. I think that if there's a blowout, it's because Ohio State put it all together and finally started living up to what we think they can be. I, I don't necessarily think they'll do that. Um, obviously, I'm picking Notre Dame to win the game, but if if Kyle McCord comes out and looks like the revelation we think he could be, then they've got the talent. They've got the players across the board. And I think I trust Ohio State's defense to hold Notre Dame to a respectable score. Whereas, like, you know, if Ohio State clicks, I don't know that I trust anyone's defense to hold them down. I, I think we, we saw what Ohio State's defense or offense did to Georgia last year when everything was clicking. They, they didn't win that game ultimately because their defense didn't show up the same way their offense did. But they scored on a very, very good Georgia Bulldog defense and took that game all the way down to the wire. If they click again, I just don't think there's a defense in the country that can hold them down. I don't think it'll happen this week, but if there's a blowout, I think it's because of that. Still don't know that I trust Kyle McCord to put it all together. I think it would have to be the perfect scenario. (laughs) And on the road, 
against a very very salty Notre Dame team. Uh, I, I I agree with uh, with you, Trey. I think I think if it is if it does get out of hand, it's a raucous atmosphere in South Bend that just overwhelms the Buckeyes, and we are having a very frank discussion on who is going to be leading Ohio State forward past the 2023 season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Switching gears, let's go to the SEC, and this line has me all kinds of confused, guys. Number 15, Ole Miss on the road at number 13, Alabama. Not used to them being outside the top 10. Crimson Tider, a seven-point favorite. This is the 2.30 p.m. kick on CBS. Gentlemen, uh, I, I tease this in the ledger. The numbers are screaming Ole Miss at me. They just are. I, I know that there are some injuries that Quinshawn Judkins has not broken out yet this year. He's been battling some injury. Trey Harris uh, may not play in this game. He was um, he's, he's battling a, I think it's a leg injury that he suffered in the Tulane game, did not play last week. And still I look at what Jackson Dart, of all quarterbacks, has been doing this year. Ole Miss is averaging 349 yards through the air. Alabama's defense gave up 349 yards through the air in their loss to Texas. Those numbers scream to me that Ole Miss might have a chance to move the ball at will. A couple of other numbers for you. The Tide, they've given up 12 sacks through three weeks. That is 126th in the country. No quarterback has been safe back there. Ole Miss has 10 sacks. When you think about pass rush, you don't necessarily think about the Ole Miss Rebels, although maybe Sam Williams has a bone to pick with that from a couple of seasons ago. But they're not exactly pass rush you. I'm not saying they are this year, but that is a vulnerable Alabama offensive line, which surprises me because we were so sure coming into this year that Alabama would be able to rebuild in the trenches, and that's how they were going to run their offense this year, that they weren't going to go spread it out, try and throw the ball down the field, keep up with the old misses through the air. We were so sure they were going to pound the ball on the ground and play bully ball. And they haven't been able to bully anybody. They couldn't do it against USF last week. When I look at this game, Garrett, I, I'm overwhelmed by the lack of standout playmakers that Alabama has going for them. And as much as it pains me to say, Ole Miss has an okay defense. I think their strength is both getting to the quarterback and in the secondary. And for me, that might be all you need to beat Alabama. I don't care if it's a road game. I think the Rebels have the leg up in this one. 
I've got a ride with the lane train plus seven. I'm going to take Ole Miss to win this game outright. Yeah, I'm on the same team as that one. I'm Ole Miss outright on this one. Look, at, at the end of the day, and you can see it if you're watching it, I, my little tag, Bama is mid this year. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and unveil my hot take for the year, but I think Bama's going to finish the year unranked. I don't think that they'll finish ranked this year. I think that they'll lose something like four or five games. And when you look across college football and you look at some of these really good teams and these really good conferences, I don't think that's going to be good enough to finish the year ranked. I don't care if it's Alabama. I think that they'll end up finishing outside that top 25. And in this particular game, I, I, I don't see how Ole Miss ends up losing this one outside of just a massive collapse, right? It, let's look at it this way. Bama has gotten their tail whooped on the offensive line every game they've played so far. Even against Middle Tennessee, they, they didn't play great on the offensive line. They did some things to kind of move the pocket, and they were able to hit some deep shots and kind of do what they needed to do on the outside. But the, the offensive line for Alabama has not been impressive at all this year. And, and like you were saying, Mitch, Ole Miss has a little bit more of attack in that defense this year. They got a little bit of that, let's put some pressure on you, let's get after the quarterback. And when you get a guy like Jalen Milrow, who I'm sorry, but you shattered his confidence last week benching him and then bringing him back. And I know that there were some reports that it was because he wasn't playing because he was suspended or something. I, I don't know any of that stuff. Regardless, he wasn't playing last week for some reason related to, you know, the coaching staff losing some kind of belief or, or having to suspend him or something. That's going to shatter a guy's confidence going into your first game in conference and oh, by the way, it's Ole Miss, who's probably got the best offense. I, I would say right now, if it's not them, it's LSU. Maybe it's AM right now in the SEC. So they've got an elite offense. I think Quinshawn Judkins is going to have to get going a little bit in this one to make it happen, but I think he will. I haven't seen anything from Alabama so far to suggest that they're going to be able to stop the run effectively. They've let up big rushing numbers so far. They've been you know prone to giving up gashing runs, uh, even to USF. So I, I'm I'm not 100% in on anything that Bama is doing right now. Jalen Milrow right now is a running quarterback who can sometimes hit deep shots. So if I'm Ole Miss, I'm probably playing, you know, cover two, cover three, man coverage, and, and letting him try to beat me in the intermediate stuff. Just keep everything in front of me because I don't think he'll be able to consistently move the ball if you make him hit the intermediate passes, especially if you're coming after him with the blitz, especially if you're spying him and not letting him get outside the pocket and burn you with his legs. I don't think Ole Miss is going to let any of that happen. I think Quinshawn Judkins is going to get rolling. I think Jackson Dart's going to have a huge game. And, yeah, I do think that Ole Miss wins this game outright and becomes you know the second loss for Bama of their four or five this season. Yeah, it. this is such a swing game for Alabama because if they win this game if they find a way to win this game when the whole world is picking against them then you you have to put them right back at the top of the SEC West pecking order right it, like you have to put them you know i, I think that changes a, it it fixes a lot of things if they're able to win this game Ole Miss has looked pretty much consistently if not the best maybe the second best team in the SEC West so far this year if Alabama was able to knock them off at home then I think that fixes a lot of problems in the minds of a lot of people. But if they lose this game, then guys, you might be looking at a 2022 Texas A&M-esque collapse. Like it, I don't think that's out of the question. It could spiral extremely quickly because that team that was on the field last week looked like they wanted to be anywhere but Tampa, Florida. They looked like they did not care about the outcome of that game. 
their talent won it out at the end, and there were a couple individual guys that just kind of willed them to victory, but they were very close to losing. To South. If South Florida was competent at all in anything, they were winning that game in Tampa last week. So this is just a very, very interesting matchup to me. I think Alabama has to know their best chance at winning this game is controlling the clock, controlling the ball, and keeping Ole Miss's offense off the field. I think that they're going to have a game plan to do that. I'm picking Ole Miss plus the seven, but I do think Alabama wins this game. I I, I don't really have a good reason for you, other than I think that coaching-wise, at least from a head coaching position, maybe not the coordinators, but the head coaching position, Nick Saban is going to stand on a table and say, we are not going to let Ole Miss out – time of possession us keep a uh, we're going to keep their offense off the field because that's their best chance of winning they want a low scoring bully ball type game and maybe Nick Saban kind of uses this as a you know make a point game if he can't if he doesn't if he can't get his players attention if he can't make this a statement game then you have to ask questions about pretty much every other game on their schedule this year because it doesn't get any easier from here on out. You still got LSU. You still got AM. You still got the rest of the SEC West. There are very, very talented teams on Alabama's schedule, and it's not going to be easy for them from here on out. So I'm interested to see how they respond. I'm interested to see if Nick Saban still has it, if that team can still have its fire in the belly, because they're the back against the wall. And for the first time in, you know, most of our college football fandoms, maybe since 2007. Alabama looks weak. Alabama looks vulnerable. How are they going to respond? It's going to be fascinating to watch. And the chess match has been going on off the field too. You guys have seen Lane Kiffin talking about who's calling defensive plays and maybe calling something out for Alabama. I don't know where you guys stand on that, but like Lane's playing his mind games. He is. Lane's giving them all the bullets and board material that they want. How do they get to respond? But Trey, what I was about to say is I do think that the, the big X factor here in Ole Miss's favor is Lane Kiffin. I'm not a typical Lane Kiffin fan. I think he acts in very interesting ways, to say the least. But he's had to watch now. He watched Jimbo beat him. He watched Kirby beat him. He watched Sarkeesian beat him. And now he wants his turn. He wants his turn to be the, the next guy in that in that tree to beat in him. Fourth and come place, back. which is where he's very comfortable. Yeah, fourth, exactly. That's, that's where it belongs. Um, no, but he, he's going to want that. So if you don't think that he's not going to throw out every single wrinkle in his playbook to try to get Bama while they're down early in the season with the quarterback who's maybe still adjusting and, you know, still some turmoil. If you don't think he's throwing out trick play after trick play and, you know, throwing the clipboard and all that stuff like that, like you know, I think you got another thing coming. I think Lane Kiffin is hungry for this one. I think the Ole Miss Rebels will be hungry for this one as well. So, yeah, I don't think this one goes very well for Bama. If Ole Miss wins this game, they're going to offer Lane Kiffin $12 million a year to be their head coach. And they should. They, they can't afford that. Ole Miss they is, will do it. Ole Miss is a They'll just tear team. down one side of their stadium because it's already as bad as it is and just use that yeah. money to sell it. They're going to start. They're going to raise the tax to, to tailgate in the Grove. Listen, for me, this comes down to one simple formula. The recipe to beat Jalen Milrow in Alabama is on tape. The Texas Longhorns gave that to us, right? Yep. The formula is bring pressure plus a quarterback spy plus man coverage, which I mentioned Ole Miss has a decent secondary. I love Deshaun Gaddy, who transferred over from North Texas, equals a lethargic Tommy Reese offense. Like, Trey, you, you, the one ray of hope 
that you have for Alabama winning this game isn't Alabama finding some sort of explosiveness on offense. It's it's using physicality. It's using time of possession. It's you know maybe getting a, a takeaway or two and kind of grinding this game away. I don't trust Tommy Reese to do that at mm-hmm. all. You know, Jalen Milrow, listen, bless his heart. I think he's a tremendous athlete. I think he can be a good quarterback, but he's not a consistent quarterback. And his play caller, for sure, is not a consistent winner in that box, right? I, what has Tommy Reese given us to, to believe in him? Um, you know, it seems like the way that the quarterback room has been handled is Nick Saban saying, you can't find a way to win. Okay, I will. Right. And, and whatever the truth is with why Jalen Milrow did not play last week, but he's starting this week, the dumpster fire that was Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner and Tommy Reese trying to figure it out against one of the worst teams in the FBS. It just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. And so even if Johnny Manziel was calling or was, was quarterbacking for Alabama, I'd still be going, you know, that guy that's calling plays isn't very good. And at some point, you got to know that the X's and O's weigh in on this as well. I I just feel like the play-calling advantage, talent aside, the play-calling advantage is on Ole Miss's side. And that's why I'm ultimately riding with the Rebs. Another statement game, if Ole Miss can win, they I think they take the driver's seat in the SEC West. Now, LSU, their their loss is obviously out of conference. Um, They still have their destiny in front of them as well. But... Boy, it adds an extra ingredient to an SEC race that we haven't really considered since, I guess, midway through last year when Ole Miss started out so hot and then absolutely fell apart. Good news for Rebs fans. You're in the front half of the season. So the lane formula is start hot and then maybe overcook it at the end. Uh, but I like the Rebs here, plus the seven. All of us are, uh, are taking Ole Miss to cover. Our final big three game. UCLA, Utah, the number 22 team in the country, just declared Dante Moore is the starting quarterback. About dang time. Chip Kelly, they go to Rice-Eccles Stadium where Utah defends a 16-game home winning streak. The Utes are four-and-a-half-point favorites, at least when we took this number. Uh, 2.30 p.m. game on Fox. Guys, uh, Trey, when I look at the X's and O's, it's pointing that Utah's defense is going to match up against a very good, very explosive UCLA offense. Which side are you trusting more leaning towards in this football game? I think UCLA is going to be a little bit too explosive for Utah. I think Utah's kind of gotten away with playing a couple teams in Florida and Baylor that are not explosive. We're working out things on the offensive side of the ball or we're playing backup quarterbacks in Baylor's case. I know Utah's been playing a backup quarterback, and Cam Rising might be able to play in this game. We've been hearing he's kind of day-to-day game-time decision for a couple weeks now. If they're saving him for this game, I totally understand that strategy. But even if he is back, guys, he has not faced live action since the Rose Bowl. He's going to be a little bit rusty. So if he is even slightly off to start the game, UCLA's rushing attack and UCLA's pass rush are going to take full, full advantage of that. So I'm riding with UCLA in this one. I think UCLA has been quietly just dominating their schedule so far. I know the Coastal Carolina game is a little bit closer than they thought, but the defenses look better. 
they have shut down some pretty decent offensive teams and they put up a lot of points on some pretty decent, uh, I'll be a G five defenses so far this year. So I'm rolling with UCLA guys. I, I really, really like uh, Carson Steele as a running back. I think Dante Moore is due for a full breakout performance. What better way to do it than in front of everybody playing the defending champion, Utah Utes. I think that UCLA's offense, if it can get going early, has a chance to dictate the pace here. The issue that I'm running into is this will be Dante Moore's first true road test. And like you said, it this will be as prime time as it gets given the TV schedule, right? Like there are so many games that I wish were being played under the lights and are either morning or afternoon games. It is what it is on the, uh, the four-letter network or on this case on Fox, but... Utah, yes, has played two Power 5 teams that, listen, neither of them are going to blow you away offensively. But I will say, Florida looks a lot less pathetic than what we initially thought after last week's kind of drubbing of Tennessee. Now, Baylor is a bad football team. I think they're going to get run against Texas uh, this weekend. But regardless, I still think that Utah's defense is the more attractive side to me here, and I told you this off air, my gut was to go UCLA plus the number when I first sat down and watched this or uh, and, and started prepping this. This was a six and a half point line. It was immediately bet down to a four and a half point line, literally in the span of a couple of hours as I was doing research for the show. But as I kept trying to make that UCLA pick, I kept coming back to Utah does incredible things at home, on their defense, where it is a no-fly zone, and they make you turn that football over. I wonder if they can rattle Dante more early, if that's not a point of no return where Utah grabs the momentum and never lets it back. I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to underthink express this one. I'm going to go Utah minus the number at home, trust the better defense. Very smart, Mitch, very smart. Don't overthink it. Look, everybody knows I love my Utah Utes. I got the Rose Bowl shirt over here. We'll, we'll put that aside. I am going to pick Utah, but but here's why. Uh, I know Cam Rising is still a game-time decision. If it's not Cam Rising, just to be clear, it has to be Nate Johnson. He's been the better quarterback so Agreed. far, and it's not close. People who aren't watching close are saying, oh, yeah, well, he's got legs. Guys, he's completed 68% of his passes as, as opposed to Bryson Barnes completing 48% of his passes. He has more passing yards than Bryson Barnes. That's in five fewer attempts as well. And that doesn't include as well that massive 70-yard over-the-top Bryson Barnes first play from scrimmage of the whole season. He also hasn't thrown a pick yet. Oh, yeah, and Nate Johnson has rushed 33 times for 148 yards. That's 4.5 average for three touchdowns. So Nate Johnson has to be the guy if it's not Cam Rising. Now, if it is Cam Rising, you know, sign, sealed, delivered, get this one out of here, no problems, right? Um, but when you look at the defense for Utah, currently the 10th-ranked scoring defense in terms of opponent points against, they're giving up 10 points a game so far. I know that they didn't play anybody but they did play Florida who just kind of smacked around Tennessee for a little bit. So we can, you know, we can talk about that one, but they also give up. Here's the key stat 65 yards per game so far against teams that I think want to run the football primarily. I think Carson Steele comes back down to earth a little bit in this game. I think that Utah is able to kind of dictate what they want to do in this game. And I am going to go ahead and pick the Utes to win this one with the minus four and a half. Um, I think they're going to play a really, really good game and keep things going 
on their march to their third straight Pac-12 title on, I guess, the maybe the last Pac-12, so maybe the only chance to have a Pac-12 three-peat. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what goes on there, but I'm, I'm excited for the Utes in this one. I think it'll be not necessarily a blowout, not necessarily non-competitive, but I do think Utah wins fairly comfortably. Give me, you know, five, seven, eight points, something like that. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think we have the making of another kind of Pac-12 classic here from Rice Eccles, right? We get so many good games uh, at, at Utah's home venue. I think we get another one here. All right, if you're listening, maybe this is your moment where you hit pause, you go get a drink, you, you go get a new cup of coffee if you're listening here in the workday. Shake it out. This has been a long run to get through three games. We're going to move faster, I promise, but that doesn't mean the games get any less important. In fact, I just got a text. Uh, from from someone asking, you know, okay, you guys record your podcast on Wednesday nights. Which game are you leading off with? Which game are you most excited about? I said, well, all of them. To to be quite honest, <laughs> there's going to be an embarrassing amount of screens in my household on uh, on Saturday. But- with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If you are looking for other games, you go, that's, that's great. But what other storylines on this pivotal week four are there? On this show us what you've got week four slate. I give you number four, Florida State at Clemson. ABC game, this is bright and early. This is the 11 a.m. kick, much to the chagrin of those in Death Valley. Now, Trey, you did a little digging. You actually asked a question as we were uh, kind of syncing up before we, we hit record. You asked when the last time that Florida State actually beat Clemson was. When was that? That was the year of our Lord, 2014. Jimbo Fisher was roaming the sidelines and Florida State was on their way to the first college football playoff. So it's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute is what I'm hearing. Been a minute. I don't care. Uh, I told you, <laughs> I told you guys before we hit record, you know, sometimes history is my best friend. And I say, oh, how can you not take the home team, uh, the home dog even with a better defense? History says it's hard to go on the road and win in those situations. Like last week when I told you take Florida plus the number. And I was right about that. This week, history doesn't apply. Give me Florida State minus the two. They're the better football team. I like their offense. I just don't trust Clemson's ability to keep up in a shootout. It's not like Florida State's defense is any slouch, right? It's it's not like they're all sizzle and no steak. They can play defense. They can get to the quarterback. They can force turnovers too. I don't trust Cade Klubnik right now. I hate to say that because he is a talented quarterback, but he's I don't know why you would. (laughs) Well, you know, listen, I want to believe that Clemson can turn that around and get the offense going, but right now I haven't seen it. So give me the Knowles. Yeah, I I think I'm right there with you, Mitch. I'm going to take Florida State minus the two. I I don't think it'll be that close either. I think Florida State wins this one pretty comfortable. Another statement. Um, look, I just I haven't been impressed with Clemson, but I've been really impressed with Florida State, a real attacking defense. Uh, they do a really good job putting pressure on the quarterback. That seems to affect Cade Klubnik. So I think that the game plan here is 
rush five, rush six, rush five, rush six, and just kind of keep sending pressure after him all game long, force him to make plays. And then if he can do it for a whole drive, maybe you'll lean off of it, right? But I think they're going to keep pressuring him. I think they're going to keep coming after him, try to get in his head. 11 a.m. for Clemson. I feel like some of those games end up being a little sleepy for him. Um, maybe it's just, you know, the ones that I watch, but it doesn't seem like Clemson comes out super strong at 11 a.m. feels like, you know, Death Valley ends up being a lot better at nighttime. So uh, I, I'm not too afraid of this. And, yeah, Jordan Travis, he's the difference maker in this one. He, he's been incredible. And, and at the end of the day, I picked Florida State to be my number two team in the college football playoff. Ain't going to get there if they lose to Clemson. So I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction, go with Florida State minus the two here. Man, can y'all imagine – we, if we got Alabama and Clemson being eliminated from the college football playoff on the same day in September, that would be sick. What a year 2023 <laughs> would be to start off. Guys, I'm going to take Florida State too, but I'm going to give the case for Clemson because I don't want to completely write them off in this game. They are at home. They still have an elite defense that can give Jordan Travis a lot of problems. If you look at you know the history of this series, we highlighted that it was – it's been a long time. It's been almost a decade since Clemson has beaten Florida State. And a lot of those games just really haven't been close, especially in the Mike Norvell era. Last year was a little bit closer. It was a one-possession game down in Tallahassee, 38, uh, 34-28. But, you know, there's been a lot of times in this series in recent history when Clemson's defense just really flexed their muscle. I could see a lower scoring game here. I could see Florida State being fortunate to escape Death Valley with a win here but I do think they are able to get that done. A lot of people are talking about Florida State, you know, maybe not being such a solid pick in this one because of the Boston College game last week. That is not why I'm concerned at all. If you watch that game, it was like 31-10 at one point. Florida State kind of fell asleep at the wheel. I think they got the wake-up call out of the way, and they're going to be up for this game. By halftime of that Boston College game, they were already thinking about Clemson. It almost got them, but it didn't, so they're totally fine. And... It's going to be a fun game to watch, I think, though. I'm concerned about Clemson being able to go down the field and keep up with Florida State's offense, and that's why I'm going to take Florida State. There's no doubt. Florida State's defense especially did not exactly wow you last week. And in their defense, their, their total defense took a hit. Statistically, Clemson's got the fourth-best total defense. Florida State is ranked right now at 104th. Now, when you dive into the advanced metrics – uh, turnover sacks, tackles for loss, their defense is, is a lot better than 104. So so don't look into that number and just go, oh, well, how on earth could you defend Florida State's defense? I will, like you're saying, Trey, I can absolutely see why this line is is only at two, right? To, to look at what the media is saying about Clemson and just discount this game would be a total mistake. Florida State has to be on their A game in order to go into Death Valley and win this game. There's absolutely a reason that the, the, the line is under a field goal. But I like Florida State's ability, even a close game, to have an explosive play, to have some game-winning drive that pushes them over the edge. And essentially, this line's a pick em, right? So as long as Florida State doesn't win by one, you're, you're into cover town uh, if, if you're the Knowles. This is a chance, if Florida State's going to make the playoff, this is a chance to rewrite the narrative, to make a statement and claim the ACC as your conference here in 2023. I've, I've been a big believer in Knowles coin since Mike Norvell took over. I think this is another step in, in the direction of Florida State becoming the alpha, 
in that conference. Who knows what happens down the line if the ACC expands, retracts, whatever. But for 2023, I think this is their conference. To uh, be guys, the man, go- you got to beat the man, right? To be the man, true. you got to beat the man. And you got to show true. us what you got. Show us what you got Saturday. Garrett, you termed our next game the Pac-2 Bowl. And, uh, hey, listen, there is a rumor that the Pac-12, and, I mean, by, by the Pac-12, I mean Washington State and Oregon State, might be in talks for a relegation model with the Mountain West Conference. How exciting would that be? A little Premier League action for you uh, after dark over on the West Coast. Oregon State, the 14th-ranked team in the country. They are three-point favorites on the Palouse at number 21, Washington State, a 6 p.m. kick on Fox, so a middle-of-the-afternoon kick over on the West Coast. This game is very close when you look at the metrics, and I think the temptation is to say, well, Oregon State has made more national headlines. They've had more maybe impressive highlights, and they're being talked about more, so why wouldn't I go with the Beavers? I certainly lean Oregon State in this one, but this is going to be a close game. Yeah, I think this one yeah. will be pretty close. It'll it'll be a, a tight one. I, I do think that the clock rules probably contribute to that as well because I do think we'll see a lot of running of the football on both sides. Um, I, I mean, you, you'll see it a lot more from Oregon State. You know, Washington State, they obviously throw a lot. But you, you're going to see the clock running because they'll complete a lot of passes and then just, you know, the clock will keep dumping off. So uh, I, I do think that I'm going to pick Oregon State in this one. I just kind of trust what they are a little bit more. Um, and, and I think that with this whole, you know, rumored relegation model and everything that you're talking about and, and our pack two bowl and whatever, I, I just think Oregon State is the better team right now. Um, I, I think that they're the better program right now. I think that they have the, the quarterback I can trust a little bit more. Um, and then maybe that's my fault for trusting, you know, DJ and all that. But I, I'm going to go ahead and stick with them. I'm going to pick Oregon State. I'm already going to pick two, you know, OSUs to lose this week, so I couldn't pick the third one. <laughs> I, you know, Oregon State's defense shut down the Cougars last year. I think Washington State's gotten their offense kind of figured out, though. We were kept waiting for it to click all last season. We kept waiting for Cam Ward to go off. We kept waiting for that offensive system to finally click. Just needed a year to get the rust off, right? And this year, it seems like they're finally getting it going, especially in that Wisconsin game a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to go with Oregon State here as well. I think they're the more complete team right now. Their pass defense really scares me against this Washington State offense. And I think that they have more ability to shut down Washington State's offense than Washington State has the ability to shut down the Beavers' offense. So you're going to go with the more complete team at this point. I think that's Oregon State. I'm with you pretty much stride for stride there, Trey. Uh, Wazoo purely moves the ball through the air. Cam Ward has 915 yards passing. Their leading rusher has, I believe, 95 yards. They just do not move the ball on the ground whatsoever. Uh, Ben Arbuckle, I told you, he comes from that air raid tree, so they like to spread you out. They're going to throw the ball deep, but Oregon State does have a very solid pass defense plus the seventh-best pass rush in the country you've got two camps you've got the palouse getting weird on it and you've got the metrics and i'm gonna go with the metrics in this i'm gonna take oregon state minus the points but i tell you what it would not shock me if it takes a last second drive to get oregon state over that number it may be a game winning drive to win by four points but i do think oregon state covers in this one i think they're the better team i'm gonna ride with the beavers on this 
let's stay in the Pac-12. And guys, kind of an embarrassingly high line for all the hype, all the pomp and circumstance that Colorado is getting. You've got number 19 Colorado at number 10 Oregon. When we bet this, it was a 21-point spread in favor of the Oregon Ducks. You can watch this on ABC at 2.30 p.m. 21 feels like a lot to me. I'm curious which side of the fence y'all are riding on. Uh, Trey, let's start with you. I'm going with Oregon, and it's mostly because it doesn't look like Travis Hunter is going to be ready to play. He's going to be out of this game. And you're not just losing your best offensive player when you lose Travis Hunter, you're also losing your best defensive player. And I think that's going to be just a little bit too big of a blow for the Buffaloes. I know they've had so much magic. I know they were 20-plus point underdogs at TCU, and they got it done. Oregon's not TCU, especially in 2023. I think TCU is a solid team. They're going to do just fine in the Big 12, but I think Oregon is a bona fide college football playoff contender with an experienced quarterback, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the uh, in the entire college football sphere. And l- listen, if you're telling me that Bo Nix gets to go up against a Colorado secondary that's missing its best piece and is now going to be playing basically cornerback by committee, give me Bo Nix. I think he's going to throw for a lot of yards – Colorado's going to score some points. I think they'll be fine, but I think Colorado's uh, offensive line against that Oregon defensive line is going to be a really tough matchup. Shadir might be running for his life a lot this week. I think the lack of depth on the trenches on both sides starts to catch up with Colorado this week. Doesn't mean they're going to have a bad rest of the season. Doesn't mean they're not still a great team worthy of being ranked in the top 25, especially after what they've done this week. And again, it's another situation where I'm not picking against them because of the results against Colorado State. I think they had a lot of distractions that week. There were tons of celebrities in town. No one was caring about Colorado State. It was all about Colorado, and Colorado State really took advantage of that. So I'm picking against Colorado this week. I think Oregon's way more talented. I think they'll cover the 21-point spread. I think the final score is somewhere around 52-20 seven in that range right 52 I, my quick math doesn't tell me if that's covering or not but 52 24 somewhere in there yeah i i think that oregon's gonna win this one and i think it'll be comfortable for him i mean bonix is gonna get whatever he wants on offense he, he's gonna be able to throw whatever he wants he can run it if he wants to he can you know spin around you know take a nap and then toss the ball up he's probably still gonna have time because colorado can't do anything on defense, especially not in the trenches. They're, they're not very good uh, on defense. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Colorado to cover the 21 points. I've learned my lesson. Um, it looks like it's going to take y'all maybe another week to learn y'all's lesson. Uh, but Colorado can play some offense. Okay, Colorado can score with the best of them. I do think that they're, they're a very, very good offense. I think Shadur Sanders is absolutely being slept on. He's a very, very good quarterback. Uh, really does a lot of things well. There's a lot of just the little things, the nuances of the game that he does extremely well. And, and he's been under pressure this season. It's not like he hasn't faced pressure and he hasn't found ways to get around it. It just doesn't look like he is because he handles it so well. And, and so I'm going to pick Shadur Sanders to score enough points to you know maybe lose by two touchdowns, but keep it respectable, right? Two touchdowns, maybe 10 points, you know, sneak up a little bit, give Oregon a little bit of a run for their money, maybe have a have a, you know, second quarter score that has people going, Oh, look out Colorado. And then, you know, Oregon obviously pulls away, but yeah, I'm going to take Colorado to go ahead and take this plus 21 and, and, you know, take it a little bit and 
I think Colorado's going to play a good game. I'm I'm done with doubting Colorado. I'm I'm in on the Colorado hype train. I think Dion is a really good coach. I think he's doing the right thing for a lot of his players, and I think that he's going to have that program turned around real quick. One of these weeks, they're due for a clunker, and it was almost last week against Colorado State, right? I mean, you could make the case that for three quarters, they were not very good, and they were being outscored by a vastly inferior team. This week, I think it catches up with you. When you have prime time as your head coach, that's a lot of hype. That is a lot of distraction that your athletes have to deal with on a week-in, week-out basis. You're missing Travis Hunter for the foreseeable future in a brutal three-game stretch that he's going to miss. You're on the road, and your defense ranks 125th in the country. Um, I think Bo Nix might do some disrespectful things uh, to this Colorado defense. They're due, to have a, they're due to have a game that they come out flat, right? And, and, and I'm not going to say that it, it uh, invalidates what Colorado has done these first three weeks. I also have learned that lesson a little bit. I think Prime has got it going in the right direction, but there does at some point, there, there has to be a, a moment when the better team takes care of business, and I think there's a reason why that line is is as high as it is. Because America wants to bet on Colorado. America wants to say, hey, Shador is now fifth in Heisman voting. Uh, let's ride with the buffs. But I think this, I think the more likely outcome is uh, is Oregon minus the number here. Um, very curious to see what, what storylines that Prime draws up for himself and his team as they head into uh, Eugene to take on the Ducks. <laughs> Big Ten country. We've got number 24, Iowa. Number seven, Penn State. The Nittany Lions are 14.5-point favorites. This is a 630 game on CBS. Uh, Guys, you are both on Iowa plus the number. I'm the lone wolf riding here with Penn State, and I'll tell you why. Iowa's missing their two starting running backs. They're missing their starting tight end in Luke Lakey. Uh, Their defense, of course, is as good as ever. They do a great job playing defense, but I don't know how they move the football in this game. It's the whiteout game for Penn State. The place is going to be rocking. Penn State did not necessarily look super impressive last week on offense, but their defense did pick off Luke Altmaier four times. The run defense was certainly much improved from what we have seen. If you are going to exploit this Penn State defense, it is up the middle running the football. I just don't know who Iowa is going to to in the running game that will be able to make the difference i think this is like a 20 to 3 kind of boring big 10 defensive slugfest but that's all i need to get my cover so i'll take penn state at home minus the the number yeah i'm concerned about drew aller after what we saw last week against the iowa defense and i think that's why i'm taking iowa to keep it close he didn't turn the ball over but he wasn't efficient throwing the ball didn't throw a touchdown only completed 48.5% of his passes. And, you know, the offense really struggled. They were still able to run the ball relatively well. They put up, I think, you know, what did they end up with? Like 30 points last week. So it's not the worst offensive output in the world. But I'm concerned about Drew Aller against this Iowa defense. It's definitely going to be the best defense he's ever faced in his young career. And I think that doesn't have to keep it close. So I'm taking the Hawkeyes plus 14 in a hook. Yeah, I'm I'm taking them as well. Look, this is a revamped, rejuvenated, lively 
Iowa offense after that 41-point explosion last week. I mean, come on, that's something to be excited about. You know, we're we're on pace now. They're averaging 28.3 points per game. That's on pace. Well, I'll, I'll take it at this point. And, and also he the tried. other big number, he's going to keep his job now. If he, he might mess around and keep his job on accident. But, look, at, at, at the end of the day, they're giving up 12.3 per game. I don't think Penn State's a good enough offense to take advantage of that and to really push that number up too much. I could see them scoring maybe 16, 17 points in this one. But I think Iowa's going to do some stupid stuff and just score a few more points to cover this one. I do think Penn State wins. But I think this is one of those really, really dumb games where it's like a like a 16 to 9, and somehow it was like a touchdown and a safety or something like that, not even a field goal. or anything. It's just a really weird game. And this game, little programming note, will be happening – to the best person possible. I'm going to pull this up from Twitter real quick. Gary Danielson will not be calling the Alabama Ole Miss game on CBS. He's being sent to call the Iowa Penn State game, which I think is one of the funniest things that I've read in a while. Um, And and it couldn't be happening to a better guy to just have to sit there and watch punt after punt after field goal after position after, you know, turnover on downs and stuff like that. That that is a piece of news that i think big 10 fans are are now mourning um, jerry's gonna love that what are you talking about that is his brand of football he can't stand these up-tempo uppity offenses he always has to remind you that the defense gets to sub when the offense subs every week every time it's true he, he does well, he's do not going to be doing it for alabama he won't be carrying nick saban's water or handbag or whatever he asks him to that he will be sad about that he will uh, be sad about Fun, fun note, Penn State, Rutgers, the only two teams in the Big Ten to be 3-0 and against the spread. Just saying, we could break a streak. We could make it 4-0. I like the chances to make it 4-0. Uh, last main feature, Arkansas at number 12, LSU. The Tigers are 18-point favorites. 6 o'clock on ESPN. Once again, I'm, uh, I'm opposing you guys. You are LSU minus 18. Which one of you wants to defend and make the case for the LSU Tigers because it doesn't please me to make the case for Arkansas, but I'm going to try. What happened for Arkansas last week? Well, they lost to BYU at home. Yeah, that that would be the important one for me. Um, That's Sorry, I I don't believe in Arkansas. I don't think they have a very effective offense. I don't think they have very much on defense after watching BYU carve them up, and and I don't think it's going to work against LSU. I'm going to pick LSU minus the 18. They're going to get after the passer. They're going to throw the ball all over the yard. It's going to be a big offensive day. I, I think LSU's in this to make statements this year. I, I, I know that they got embarrassed week one, but I think that that embarrassment is now fueling them a little bit, and, and they're kind of having to push this a little bit and say that, you know, hey, we're, we're going to need to make some statements along the way if we want to make the playoffs. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it to make some statements. Go go win big on this one, LSU. It's, it's going to be a rough night at the, in, in, in the swamp for, uh, for Arkansas here. It's, it's going to be tough down there. On the bay, Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, not the swamp. That no, it's just down on the bay. That's a swamp down there. Have you not seen that? Well, <laughs> have you been to Baton Rouge, a Louisiana? Yeah, a, a swamp. swamp. I'm just making sure we're not. No, not the swamp. It is down there in <laughs> they're in the swamp in Baton Rouge. A swamp. Cane break. There's cane breaks everywhere. <laughs> they're they're playing at Death Valley, and it's going to be a rough night. Those LSU fans are crazy. The Atchafalaya Swamp. Um, yeah. Driving over that long bridge. Uh, Listen, I originally said that I was done picking against LSU uh, because I learned my lesson last week. 
and picked Mississippi State, and LSU promptly curb stomped them. But then I did a little bit more digging, and I realized that this game has been decided by exactly a field goal three games in a row, three years in a row. So Mitch doesn't even have to convince me. I'm flipping my pick. Arkansas plus 18. LSU wins comfortably by two scores. But Learn your lesson, Trey. Plus 18. I'm not learning yet. I'm not learning yet against Arkansas. Weird things happen in the boot. They do. Show notes for the win. Uh, I I also went, you know, LSU, gosh, it feels like they should win this game by by a lot. But what do they do? What do they do against Arkansas? Because every time this game comes on, it feels like Arkansas is uncomfortably close to beating the Tigers. And sure enough, that's exactly the case. The last time LSU handled Arkansas comfortably was 2019. That was a generational, maybe the best football team in college football ever. And it took that to blow the Razorbacks out. Doesn't matter if Arkansas is a good team or not. This is typically a razor close game. So Trey, that's exactly where I went. I think LSU wins by 10, by 14. They can win by 17. We still get there. Arkansas plus the points on the road. It's a rivalry game. You throw the stats, you throw the uh, the metrics out the window. The Razorbacks find a way to keep this game close. I know they lost, but I'm just going to go. This time, when history suits my purpose... I welcome it with open arms. So we'll we'll take Arkansas plus the points. One more weird nugget about this one. This is the earliest these two teams have ever played. I'm going through the game list right now, and I thought it was weird that LSU and Arkansas were already playing when I saw that on the schedule this week. They've never played this early. They've never even played in October in a conference oh. game. This is the first time they've ever played in before the last uh, or next to last week of the season. So things are going to be different from history is what I'm hearing. Could there's, there's it could very well could be. Maybe, just, maybe just, that's the break. Hey, I'm I'm on the fan side in Baton Rouge. I'm I'm with those guys. Don't come key my car, okay? I love Trey's note in the show doc. I'm done picking against LSU. Tigers minus eighteen, and then promptly immediately promptly throws throws the hat new, off the recruiting. Some new table. evidence was presented. Some Un- new evidence was presented. Unzips the the quarter <laughs> zip, and he's got an Arkansas shirt underneath. Uh, big not so fast moment here on the three tech pod. The NIDL check cleared from that's right. <laughs> that's right. All right, guys, let's get to some quick hitters here. And and when I say some, I mean we've still got a number of games, so we'll try and move through these quickly. Uh, an 11 a.m. kick that is ooh, a watershed moment for a program that is in desperate need of shedding some water. Texas AM, eight point favorites against Auburn here. In College Station, if this goes sideways for the Aggies, I really worry about the rest of the season. This is this next stretch: Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, and then Tennessee, all before the bye. If A and M can find a way to drop, maybe they don't drop a game. Maybe they run the table, and suddenly they are right back on track, and all the Jimbo haters are gone away. More than likely, though, they have a tendency to slip up in one of these games, and that Auburn team catching more than a score on the road makes me really nervous. I think that A&M does win the game because they're the better team and they're at home, and they have shown that when they're playing at Kyle Field, more than likely they do what they're supposed to do and they win the football game, but giving up eight points to an Auburn team that can be good hasn't necessarily put all the pieces together, but can be good. That makes me nervous. So I'll take the Tigers plus the points, but the Aggies win. 
I'm taking AM. Listen, if AM is anywhere close to where they should be, they should win this one by multiple scores. Like Auburn, I don't think is going to be anywhere close to the top of the West this year. The West could get crazy, and Auburn could definitely find their way more towards the top. But generally speaking, I think they'll be closer to the bottom than the top. If AM is who they want to be, they need to win this game by multiple scores. And I think they get it done. If they don't, the current price of oil is $90 a barrel. And that's good news if you're a Texas A&M fan. That's one of the best ways you could have put that, Trey. Um, no, I think A&M needs this game. Jimbo needs this game. Everyone across the board at this point needs this game. And I think A&M gets it done. They've got one of the best offenses, I think, in the SEC. I put them right up there with LSU and Ole Miss. And I think they're going to be able to do what they need to. Auburn not that good on the back end. They have some good players back there, but I don't think that they're there as a unit. Um, they, they are able to rush the passer sometimes, but still not really going to, not going to rely on that against Texas A&M. They're going to, they're going to struggle. I think to get after Connor Wigman, I think he's going to have what he needs to, to, to score a whole lot of points. Um, and, and I don't necessarily believe in the Aggie defense right now, but I think they're going to do what they need to Peyton Thorne. I don't think is a, good enough player they haven't really shown that they have enough packages with Robbie Ashford to throw the ball out of so don't think that they're going to be much of a threat they could score you know a fair amount of points in this game but at the end of the day AM needs this game I think the fans know it I think Jimbo knows it I think they're going to be ready to go so I'm going to go ahead and take AM minus the eight points in this one to, to roll through this and get to the next phase of you know let, let's you know stop panicking and figure out if we're you know back to where we want to be as a program Unless your name is Jared Stidham, who wanted to play for the Aggies but didn't get a chance to, Auburn traditionally beats A&M when they run the football well. I don't think they're going to be able to run on the defense this year. Um, the the, the riding, rushing defense has taken a step forward, as much as a step forward as the secondary has taken a step backwards. Um, so I think yeah. for what Auburn does well, A&M is, is prepared for that. SEC opener for Hugh Freeze. And I will note that the road team traditionally had won this this game in the series, although the home team has won each of the last three times. So recent trends, buy-ins, or whatever you want, uh, but I think A&M should win this game. Uh, BYU at Kansas. BYU is the worst 3-0 and team in the country, gentlemen. I have no problem staking my my flag on that. Kansas wow. is a 9.5-point favorites, um, and they're the most one of the most efficient offenses in the country. They didn't look great last week. I'll give you that. But it was a road game. It was a late night game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there was something in the in the pregame pasta, in the carb loading. I think Kansas gets back to it this week, and I think they win comfortably. Give me the Jayhawks minus the number. I, I'm going to take BYU. I think you're giving them a little bit of disrespect there. That's yeah. more of a testament to the Kansas defense than anything. I'm still not sold on Kansas being able to win by multiple scores against a competent team with the defense. So I'm going to take BYU to keep it close, but Kansas to ultimately win at home. Yeah, I, I still don't think Kansas has completely clicked on offense yet. I still think they're kind of looking to put it all together. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking they take a step in the right direction. It's kind of a gut on this one. I don't really have lots of reasons to. I just kind of feel like they're going to put it all together. Um, against the BYU team that I'm kind of with you, Mitch. I think there's there's some fool's gold in the pot in this one. So give me Kansas minus nine and a half to win this one and, and you know kind of stay atop the Big 12 right now. Earlier, I dropped a stat from the Big 10. There were two teams. 
They're three and zero and taking us to Covertown, Penn State, and my Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They are twenty four point dogs on the road in the Big House, number two Michigan. It's an eleven a.m. game, a sleepy Big Ten Network kick. Uh, you guys are both on uh, the Wolverines in this one, Garrett. Team that is near and dear to your heart. Why does Michigan run away with this? Well, I think the fact of the matter is Rutgers right now is just kind of Michigan light. Uh, I think that they kind of play the same style of football that Michigan plays. They, they like to run the ball. They want to kind of out physical you. They want to, you know, get their defenses there and, and play really good defense and do that. I just think the problem is Rutgers is playing Michigan, right? They're, they're playing the team that they're supposed to be that, you know, that version of, right? They're modeling after that. But Michigan is much better across the board, better athletes, a lot more talent a lot more effective at what they do. Uh, I, I think the formula for beating Michigan is what TCU did, right? Where they, they just throw a such, you know, a, such a dramatic style change at them that they're not used to. And, and you just kind of surprise them, take them off guard. But look, Michigan on defense, they look against this offense every single week. I don't think that they're going to be able to score very much. Uh, I don't think Rutgers scores very much. That is. And, and I think that Michigan is going to take a step in the right direction. They got their stinker out a little bit last week. That, And I say stinker, they still won the game pretty handily. But J.J. didn't have his best game. I'm going to guarantee you he got after it in practice, does a lot better job this week. And I think that they're going to win this one by a whole bunch. You guys are burying the lead. Jim Harbaugh is back, baby. He is back <laughs> on the sidelines. And I think Michigan wins this one by right about 24 points. I'll go ahead and take him to cover. Rutgers has looked really, really good. I don't want to shade Rutgers. I'm very happy for them. This is the best start they've had in a very long time. And they've looked really good against the competition they played so far. This is just too big of a step up for them, though. And I think Michigan will take care of business relatively easily. They're going to run the ball. The clock's going to run. I would be tempted to take the under at 44 points, but that's definitely going to be, you know, around. It should be right around there, and Michigan should, you know, take care of business. I also would be very tempted to take the under. Both of these teams stake their reputation on defense. They run the ball a lot. Play action is going to be fun. Uh, Garrett, you mentioned both these teams are very similar. Both like to draw you into the box and then run a bootleg and throw it over the top. Every time Virginia Tech crept close enough to make me uncomfortable last week, remember I took Rutgers minus the number, they would run play action and Gavin Wibstat would either throw the ball or he would just scamper away from everybody, and uh, and we got to t- uh, we got to cover town. I think I think Rutgers has to hang on a little bit more this week. Obviously, I don't I don't think they're going to catch Michigan by surprise, but I do think their defense does enough to keep this a low scoring affair, and they hang around. I, I think if you're telling me they lose by 21, I think that's no no hit against what Rutgers is going to do the rest of this season. They're a plucky team. I think they can get to a bowl game, but it also will check the boxes for Michigan. And so in that way, I think Michigan late, if they're up by 20, 21 points, we're taking knees. We're running out the clock, and I I think I can get the backdoor cover that way. Um, So we'll roll with Rutgers plus the points. Plus, it's just more fun when I'm rolling with the team that that I care about. (laughs) Uh, Army and Syracuse. Boy, this is an interesting game, isn't it? Jeff Munkin just got extended through 2027 after a big win against UTSA in the Dome on the road. They're 14-point underdogs against the Orange. We're asking the question for the second or third straight year, is Syracuse good? Garrett Schrader 
is really good at figuring stuff out, and he might be the best ball fake quarterback in the country. If y'all have seen those tweets on social media, some of his play fakes against Purdue were downright uh, out of the prestige. I mean, just so, so elite. Um, Army's new look offense, for me, guys, they're running everything out of the shotgun, which is bizarre to see a service academy doing that, right? It's it's like an NCAA 14 file. <laughs> but they're still owning time of possession. And I think that both of these teams are going to kind of grind each other to a little bit of a halt. Syracuse has a defense that plays fast. They play physical, uh, 22nd overall in the country. So I don't think Army is going to be able to kind of run away and separate themselves like they did against UTSA. I do think there are times in this game, though, where they might even be leading Syracuse. I don't necessarily trust the Orange's offense to get out, run with an early lead. They're missing Gadsden, their best uh, tight end slash wide receiver. He's done for the year. I'm going to take Army to keep this close. I think I, I think Munkin's squad might even have a chance to win this outright despite being a two-touchdown dog. Yeah, I certainly do think if they can control the clock, if Garrett Schrader's not completely sharp and ready to go, that's how a service academy typically beats you. I am struggling to eliminate the ULM game from Army for me. I know they played sure. two games and looked really, really good um, since then, but that was just such a clunker to start. Um, I'm actually going to flip my pick again from what I wrote on the sheet. I think Syracuse pulls out a backdoor cover, minus 14, gets it done. That's certainly something. I think I'm going to be with Mitch on this one. I'm going to take Army plus the 14. Yeah, it was a bad first week, but they got all the kinks out. It's all fine. And I think that they play good enough offense. I'm I'm kind of with what you're saying, Mitch. I think that they could be leading this game at points. And, you know, finally answer the question, is Syracuse good? No. Just There it is. There's the answer. No, I don't think that they are. I'm sorry. Like, they're fine, but they're not good. They have such an they we talked about this in previous season, but they have another opportunity to start six and zero, and then just roller coaster down uh, with the way that their schedule ends this year. It could be exact same as it was last year. Secure, secure the bull win. uh, Figure out what goodie bag they're going to collect in the middle of December, and then go on vacation for six weeks and rest up, and and then get your free. It's a formula right there. Yeah, get your free. I don't know what bowl game the ACC gets to play in now uh whichever one espn are, are they in the pinstripe bowl is that the one that they get sure sure yeah get ready to play in the bronx um get six weeks of prep in there for that yeah it'll be fun final iron skillet that we know of is this week 11 a.m fs1 of course i'm talking about smu and tcu the horn frogs are six and a half point favorites in this one and yet we're all on the ponies so just advance congratulations to tcu for winning this game because uh well you guys know how this goes the case for smu is i feel like when i did my research on this everybody that was predicting tcu to win this was saying oh imani bailey's gonna run over the ponies like they did last year there's no way that smu's offense has enough time to even keep up with what tcu is gonna do Trey, I wonder if these people writing those previews have watched the SMU defense because stopping the run is what they're actually geared to do this year. They have a much bigger, much more physical defensive line. Their secondary has actually been much improved this year as as well. They held Oklahoma to, what was it, 24 points? Is that right? 
I believe that SMU can keep this close. I don't know if they win it outright or not because they are going on the road, but sure, give me six and a half points in a rivalry game. I think they keep it close. Yeah, 28 points, but the point still stands with Oklahoma. And they passed the eyeball test for me uh, when we saw them live earlier this year. So I'm right there with you, SMU plus six and a half. They're going to be motivated too in this last rivalry game. That's a big X factor for me. They would love nothing more than to knock off TCU the last time that uh, they get to play them. And, and knocking them off in Fort Worth, right? Being able to yeah. go to their place, punch them in the mouth. Look, I, I think that the SMU offense is going to be way too much. They got the two-headed attack out of the backfield. LJ Johnson, Jalen Knighton, both over 140 yards early in the season. Uh, and I just think I'm looking up and down this list. RJ Maryland, the tight end, is going to be fantastic. Jordan Curley, Jordan Hudson, Jake Bailey. There's just there's too many weapons for SMU right now. And, and we saw what Colorado did carving them up with, you know, kind of a, a, a ragtag bunch at the point in time and, and not maybe a, a super, super high-level talent group, but they all played well together. Uh, I'm going to watch Preston Stone dictate the way that this game goes, do what he wants to an offense. I think SMU is going to put up a bunch of points, and I'd probably pick him to win this game. Two more quick games to get to. Uh, Garrett, you're on Wyoming minus the two and a half against App State. This is a six o'clock kick on CBS Sports Network. Defend the Cowboys. Uh, they did a pretty good job for three quarters against Texas. And so I'm, I'm okay watching that. Team. I, from what I saw out of that team, I saw a team that was willing to compete, willing to be physical, willing to, to kind of get in Texas's grill and make things difficult for them. And I think that they can do the same thing to App State. They're playing this game at home. They, they already beat Texas Tech. This is a really good Wyoming team. And I'm going to go ahead take and win this game minus two and a half. I think this one is one of my least, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling real confident about this one. I don't have a whole lot of doubts about the way that this one goes. Yeah, App State hasn't been as impressive for me outside of that uh, North Carolina game. They definitely got up for that one. But Wyoming has been great at home, and Wyoming, you know, I know they're not playing a team from the state of Texas, but I think they'll still look good this week. <laughs> uh, App State, to me, when they're playing well, is the more complete, the more balanced team. We don't know if Andrew Peasley is going to be back at quarterback. Now, that didn't necessarily matter for Wyoming, although their defense kind of carried the pail uh, for them against Texas last week, and ultimately the, their inability to score against the Longhorns was what prevented that upset. I, I may look like an idiot Saturday night, uh, but I'm going to take App State. I feel like uh, eventually when you have some of these group of five teams that don't do, that don't score particularly well, right? I'm thinking of like a Troy. Uh, if you can't, if you, your offense can't kick it into high gear at times when you absolutely need it to, I worry that your longevity might not be, uh, here for very long, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I know it's a long road trip. I know it's at altitude. I'm committing all the cardinal sins when it comes to picking picking against the team at home. I'm gonna take App State plus the two and a half. Uh, you know, like I said, I may look like an idiot here. Another game that I also may look like an idiot. I'm gonna take Memphis plus seven. They are in St. Louis hosting Missouri, who just pulled off a great upset, a historic upset against Kansas State. First win over the Wildcats since 2010. Uh, Harrison Mevis sets an SEC record with his 61-yard walk-off field goal. And I'm going to roll with the Tigers. 
Uh, Brady Cook has a leg injury. Bold he, strategy in this. He one. might not play. <laughs> roll with um, the Tigers. Listen, tell me if if Sam Horn or Jake Garcia wets your whistle. I don't know that they really move the needle for me. This feels like a letdown spot for Missouri. Finally, folks are like, you know what? Maybe you can compete in the SEC East. And and right there, right when folks start to buy into an upstart team in the SEC. That's when reality kind of kicks the door down. I don't know if Memphis wins, but I'll take them to keep it close. I am also taking the Tigers. I'm going to take the Missouri variety, though. And I think that is a letdown spot. Zoo and the Lou is a really weird branding, but it's kind of fun. And I don't know (laughs) if you guys know this, but in addition to the Battlehawks, you can see motocross. You can see um, monster truck rallies. And Metallica is coming to the former home of the St. Louis Rams in addition to Missouri football. So, all kinds of fun things happening in uh, St. Louis. Wow. All three of us in on the Tigers this week. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm picking Mizzou minus the seven as well. I think Luther Burden just, again, too much. He's the best player on the field almost every time he's out there, and I'm going to take him to be the best guy again. Uh, I, I don't think it matters who's throwing him the football. You can kind of, you know, do the, the whole Jamar Chase, F he's down there somewhere type of thing. I think you do that with Luther Burden. He's, he's pretty dang good. So um, I'm going to take Luther Burden and the Tigers of Missouri to win this one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this is anecdotal, but Missouri typically struggles with Memphis, right? Like, I don't feel like they put away Memphis convincingly. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll stall for you just a minute. But, you know, without a starting quarterback, uh, their defense is certainly the best thing going in this game. uh, For Missouri, that is. And I think you you got to see that firsthand against Kansas State last week, but if, if Cook's not in there to sling the rock, I wonder what they do offensively that sets them apart. And I think that's why I'm going to roll with Memphis. Trey, did I buy enough time? Um, you did, and I, I hate to say it, but unless you're referring to the upset in Como in 1996, uh, these teams have only played once this millennia, and it was in 2018, Missouri won 65-33. Okay, well then clearly I'm thinking of something else. So that truly was a... I'm glad I let off with that's an anecdotal example because that could not have been more of a wrong take. Um, this isn't Were you not live... watching in 96, Mitch. Was that not what you I was not? I believe I was a newborn that season. Um, <laughs> so you know, probably wasn't locked into to regional St. Louis football. Uh, guys, those are 15 games that we strongly encourage you to watch. Now, Trey, you added a watch the ticker section, and it starts on Thursday night, Georgia State Coastal. Thursday night clash, 6.30 ESPN. Listen, what else are you doing with your life besides watching a little Sunbelt fun belt on Thursday night? Like this is Take what on you Barclays do. You don't need to watch the NFL. That game's going to be boring. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and they're playing, are they playing the Vikings? Who are they playing? No, they're not the plan. 49ers, I think. 49ers, so yeah. Gonna that's that's going to be a route. Watch, yeah, watch, no, watch 3-0 Georgia State. Yeah, watch 3-0 Georgia State play Coastal. Um, that That's going to be a lot of fun. Wisconsin at Purdue is Friday night. I gave that one out in the ledger. Head on over to that YouTube video if you want to see which side I went with. Oklahoma, Cincinnati, another good one. Cincinnati fresh off a loss. Miami of Ohio, it seems like everything's clicking for Oklahoma. Texas goes to Baylor, um, which uh, that might be a funeral in Waco if Texas has their way with them. UCF, Kansas State's going to be a lot of fun. Trey, you gave out the over. In that game, there could be a whole lot of points scored if Timmy McLean 
can rally the troops at UCF. And Cal at Washington, kind of a sneaky good game. Maybe Cal does have offense. Guys, I don't know. Uh, I, I think Washington is clearly the better side in this, but a decent defense, a surprise offense. Maybe they give Washington a little bit of a run for their money. Kind of closing thoughts, Garrett, let's start with you. Which of these games, uh, if you have an extra monitor, if you have an eighth monitor spare, which game is on that monitor? And I do have the eighth. Um, I'll be sparing. I'm going to split screen it. I'm going to go Cal Washington, and I'm also going to go Texas Baylor. Cal Washington, because I think it's actually really interesting. I'll be watching that one super late at night, staying up, you know, keeping up with that one as it goes. We'll be you know, probably watching that one as we're doing the podcast in the live segment. But also, I'm watching Texas Baylor, not for any particular reason on the field, but I just kind of want to see how the Baylor fans react to sending Texas off. I think they're going to – if you know anything about Baylor fans, they can sometimes get a little rowdy and a little bit uh, out of order. And I just think the Baylor fans are going to be a lot of fun to watch. So don't let me down. You know, good old Baylor line. Give it to them on their last trip to Waco. Not, not the Baptists. They're going to spike the watermelon at the church picnic oh, on Saturday. <laughs> Um, I'm that babe's go. chicken is not baked; it's fried. Dad gummit. <laughs> that good old Baylor line. Yeah, they're gonna be singing uh, a lot of that. Um, yeah, I'm interested in how Wisconsin handles Purdue. That's kind of a big prove it game for me. UCF Kansas State, though, I think that's gonna be a really fun one. I wish John Reese Palmy was playing in this game for UCF. Unfortunately, he's still injured. But I think there's still going to be a lot of points, lots of fun. Definitely check the ticker with all those other big-time matchups. You might need to pull up your phone. There's no doubt. No doubt that all screens, all available screens, will be requisitioned for uh, for a full weekend of college football. Guys, uh, it's almost here. Uh, we're so excited to get to it. Week four is going to be a blast to break down. If you are new to the podcast, heck, if you're an original listener, we did a live show. To recap week three last week, and we loved it so much, we're doing it again. So tune in live Saturday night. Head on over to our social media accounts at 3TechPod. We will be tweeting out, uh, Instagramming out when we're going live. You'll be able to get the link right there in the post. would encourage you to jump on in, comment, ask questions, give us your hot takes, and uh, let's just revel in what is truly going to be one of the best weekends of the year. Together, we look forward to seeing you then. Until then, though, enjoy all the games. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everyone. Gracious, how about that?